Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello, I'm Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and I am joined here by Lee Coates, Director of ESG Accord, um, for a second time. Thank you so much for joining me, Lee. Thank you. It's great to be here again. Um, Obviously, last time you did tell us all about yourself, but maybe just for the benefit of listeners who are maybe just tuning in for the first time, you could just quickly say who you are, what you do. Um, Okay, Poacher Turn Gamekeeper. There we go. go. (laughs) 31 years as an IFA um, and now um, working with my business partner, Ellie Dowding, running a compliance support business for advisors, specialising in helping advisors deliver advice on ESG and sustainability. Cool. Um, I think last time we spoke, ESG Accord had not yet launched, but now it has. So how's it going? Uh, yes, the Accord Initiative is is alive and well and um, incredibly busy. So we've had hundreds of um, downloads of our free to access compliance framework for advisors, which is um, really gratifying. Um, we've, we've put a lot of time, we were pretty much 18 months in building this framework and then to be able to deliver it for free to advisors is um, is really good. And um, the feedback we've had is is fantastic. Advisors are downloading because it's just a series of templates, so they're downloading, tweaking, and then in, in embedding it into their advice process. Great. Sorry, yes, I should have said Accord Initiative. ESG Accord is the company that had launched, of course. The yes. Accord Initiative hadn't launched, but anyway, you clarified, so that's fine. Um, so yes, today I think well, last time um, we spoke, as I say, it was before the launch of the initiative, and we were talking a bit about what advisors need to know about the FCA's new sustainability disclosure regulations, including the um, labelling. And we talked also a bit about um, ESG ratings and whether advisors can rely on those and whether they should be using them. So for anyone who hasn't listened to that, I would highly recommend it. Go back and have a listen. Um, But for this episode, we're going to be looking a bit at the FCA's 2022 financial lives survey um, in relation to what it says about ESG and responsible investment. So perhaps we could start off, Lee, you could just give us some of the key takeaways from the survey from your perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, um, if I just go back one survey before, so if we look at the, the 2020 survey, um, the, the, the summary of that is that the FCA found from um, surveying, I think, a few thousand people, that 80% of the public um, wanted to do, uh, do some good with their money. Now, you know, do some good is is quite a nebulous concept, but the, the principle is when asked, 80% said, yeah, okay, if my money's doing something positive um, from an environmental or social perspective, um, then yes, please. But 71% specifically said that um, they want to protect the environment with their money. And and coincidentally, 71% said they want to wish to avoid making unethical investments. Um, 
Now, uh, jumping to the 2022 survey, which was released in the summer 2023, um, the FCA went off slight tangent, sort of away from ESG to more broader responsible investment um, and they uh, found that 23 percent of adults were very aware of responsible investment okay flip that around 70 77 percent aren't um, mm. but i'll come on to why the aren't um, aware is really important for advisors um, but that 23 percent was up from 16 in in the previous survey but 62 percent of those already with a pension or investment um, were interested in responsible investment that figures up from 57 um, and then uh, most adults and uh, with pensions investments wanted to invest in, with ESG embedded so we we still often hear advisors um, saying all oh, my clients aren't interested in in ESG um, mm -hmm. which in itself is problematic um, because most funds probably in the next 12 months or so will have ESG embedded. So if the advisors are right, that means that most of the funds currently available that will be available within 12 months won't be suitable for those firms who know that their clients don't want ESG because yeah, firms are embedding it. They, they, they will stop marketing ESG funds as look at us, we've got an ESG fund, and they'll just embed it as a risk tool. So if advisors genuinely believe, and perhaps under prod have segmented their clients into all my clients uh, fall into one category, one segment before the other segments, which is they don't want ESG, that's great. They can have all the funds that don't do ESG, which mm -hmm. might be 5% of funds available. Um, sorry, those are sort of diving around the, the stats there, but the important one is uh, the FCA phrased it as most adults already with a pension or investment wanted ESG embedded. Um, but, but I think probably from an advisor's perspective, one of the more interesting statements more than a, a sort of a statistic is that investors found it really difficult to tell which responsible investment funds were genuinely following responsible investment principles. So lots of claims being made. Um, and in the last podcast, I referred to how the sustainable disclosure um, regulations requirements will come with an anti-greenwashing rule embedded. And if you think about it, what that what that survey is saying is that investors who have looked for responsible investment have been really confused by the offerings and not really sure whether the claims that are being made are actually correct. Now, if you just take that at face value, it means the public are confused. But if you just make a little leap, it's, it's not unreasonable to say that this is perfect territory, can't speak, it's perfect territory for financial advisors. Because instead of saying, oh, yes, come to come to um, us and we can give you advice on a portfolio of um, passive funds, trackers or something. Oh, yeah, but I can go and buy them online. Thank you very much. It's, ah, are you interested in ESG, sustainability, responsible investment? Yes. Then you need advice. Yeah. Because the survey, FCA's own figure said the public want it and they're confused by what's out there. How do you solve confusion around financial planning issues? You go to an advisor and you pay an advisor. Um, sorry, I just remembered another statistic. I mean, there's so many in this survey, so it's, yeah. it's really good. But um, it's around pricing and linking back to consumer duty, for example. Um, 
obviously fair pricing is a big thing of consumer duty. Now, most commentary around that implies that advisors need to consider whether they're overcharging and you know whether they should be reducing prices. In the financial life survey around responsible investment, um, the uh, the majority of respondents said they would willingly pay more for advice on responsible investment. So you've got a perfect, perfectly positive storm um, or opportunity for advisors here to say, okay, public are confused, they want this thing, and they will pay more to access advice on it. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it does. It sounds ideal. But um, yeah. I think you, what you were saying there about you know responsible investing being so confusing, and even the word greenwashing, I think, has various different definitions. So just the whole landscape becomes a bit muddy and difficult. And I can definitely see why clients would need advice on it. But do you think the advice? Do you think advisors themselves, at the moment, in general, have enough knowledge themselves to be able to offer the clients the, the right advice or comprehensive enough advice? Um, I. Our experience is that the majority of advisors don't quite have enough knowledge and experience to to offer fully comprehensive advice. We divided the um, market up into four sectors, or four quadrants rather. Mm. Um, and there's the you know do absolutely loads of it, um, as in advice on ESG and sustainability. Um, really used to it building CPD. It's you know embedded in the firm, um, and they tend to be the specialist firms. You do a Google, and they come up as "Hello, we're Ethical Money" or something like that, Ethical Investors or whatever. Um, so you imagine that the top left quadrant, the bottom right quadrant, would be those who um, I, I rather euphemistically say are waiting for the retirement bus. Mm -hmm. um, they don't care whether their clients are interested in ESG and they're, they're not interested in it. They're probably the same sort of people that are not interested in embedding consumer duty. You know, retirement's coming. Consumer duty um, is a catalyst to get out of the industry. However, the top right and bottom left quadrants, the majority of advisors um, acknowledge that they need more support and help in understanding um, and need especially with consumer duty, need help and support around the processes associated with it. And unintentionally, that's a great segue back to the Accord initiative, because everything that the advisor, advisors need to be able to sort of upskill and, and meet regulations, it's all available free on the Accord initiative site anyway. I mean, thanks to the broad industry support we've got to develop it. So, um, I don't, I'm not being rude or pejorative at all. It's, you know, it's it's an area that often in, historically was triggered by a client. And now we've got a regulatory regime which basically says every advisor has to ask every client about ESG preferences. It might be that the clients say, and 99% of clients say, not for us. Mm. That's fine. But not asking the question is a yeah. problem from a regulatory perspective. I think we might have touched on it a bit last time, but um, also asking the question in the right way. Because if you just ask a client, are you interested in ESG? And they don't know what ESG is. Not every client's going to say, well, what is it? Can you explain it to me? That They might just not know what it is. So then therefore go, no, we're not interested. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, interestingly, since the last podcast, not only have we had the momentous launch of the Accord initiative, but slightly more important, we've had consumer duty. Of course. <laughs> Actually launched in the same month. 
um, and um, that's changed the 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 advice process. Is, is that the right word? Is, has it changed the process? No, it's changed the way that advice processes should work. Most advisors will probably deliver advice in the same way, but the premise of consumer duty is uh, is to deliver good client outcomes. And consumer duty requires that firms demonstrate how those outcomes um, are good. And mm -hmm. a suitability letter on its own, just because it exists, doesn't mean that it's good. Um, it probably is. But the FCA are interested in how did you get to the end result? Show us your workings. And that can easily come back to the issue that you raised, which is just asking an ESG question. So how can you be certain that the client's response to do you want ESG completely out of the blue? You know, how the dog, how the kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, and do you want ESG? What's that? Oh, uh, environmental, social governancey things. Um, you know, you could you could switch the conversation for an hour around just around ESG and sustainability. Most clients probably don't have the time or the inclination to go into that much detail. Um, and advisors certainly would find it problematic to go off at a tangent just to explain that one thing. And so therefore, um, most people, when hit with a question that they don't understand, uh, respond with a negative, which is, um, I don't know what that is, so no. Mm don't do it to me or don't give it to me or whatever it is that this ESG thing is. Can, can I, until I understand it, can I keep it away? Well, that fails consumer duty because if the client had time to understand it or were given information before the meeting to understand what ESG was, they may have chosen a different route, which would have led to a different outcome. So the proof of good outcomes isn't simply saying, in your fact find, do you want ESG? And in fact, fact sheet 21 from the FCA basically says don't put ESG or ethical or sustainable um, in a fact find. It's the wrong place to do it. Yeah. And then just, yeah, what you were saying earlier about um, the majority of funds are going to have some level of ESG in, in the next 12 months anyway. So it's not really good for advisors if they're just asking do you want ESG and then getting the answer no, because then it surely that makes it harder for them to place that client in the right fund because they've only got a choice of 5% of funds versus 95% or yeah, I just made it, that up, but you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, but the principle's still right. It, 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 it's one of those um, can of worms that advisors really pro probably don't want to, to get into. I, I don't mean talking about ESG. I mean um, the idea that you're off, you're asking a, a, a single question and clients don't know what um, what it is. So they answer no, and so advisors then say, "Okay, let's say we let's say we jump ahead a year, and ninety percent of funds have ESG embedded." That means the only funds that the advisor can recommend, because hopefully they've recorded that conversation. The client doesn't want ESG, so there's yeah. a client segment. Target market will be only those funds that don't have ESG embedded. Um, so that's ten percent of the market. So the advisors are going to have to build a portfolio by ignoring 90% of the market, or this is where the can of worms comes in, ignore what they put on file and put clients in good funds that clients would normally be happy with um, that do have ESG. Mm. 
But then how can you prove you've delivered good outcomes if the file says client doesn't want ESG and you've got a portfolio made up of um, 10 funds, seven of which have got ESG embedded? If one of those funds underperforms, if I were a client or a claims management company, the first thing I'd do is say, does it say on the file that I didn't want ESG? Yes. Does this fund have ESG? Yes. Has it lost 50% of its value? Yes. Ah, well, we, you know, we can't can't be held responsible for losses in the market. No, that's true. But you can be held responsible for putting me in a fund that had ESG when your own file records that I said I didn't want it. Mm. Uh, difficult to defend that complaint. Um, Very tricky. So so I mean, and all of this conversation around ESG ignores the fact that it's a pointless question to ask the client anyway. Um, in isolation, because if you ask the client, do you want ESG? What you're saying is, I'm not going to talk to the client about responsible investment or ethical investment or any of the sustainable labels or impact investment or anything else. I'm going to completely ignore that, which means at any point in the future, the client could come back and go, well, you didn't ask me about impact or responsible or ethical or sustainable. And I would have gone down that route and not down the route that the one you put me in that's lost my money in my ISA. So can you put me back to where I was before? So even if advisors are asking the ESG question, it's it's one question out of many. This is similar to saying on a scale of one to one to 10, ignoring one to four and six to 10, what's your attitude to risk? <laughs> it's like, uh, it's five, isn't it? Oh, correct. Well done, Mr. and Mrs. Client. Your risk is five. Good. I'm happy now. I'm going to go and recommend the product. I'm going to completely ignore the fact that there was a bit to the left and a bit to the right and high risk is high return and low risk is low return. Ignore all that. And it's much the same with ESG and sustainability. If you simply ask ESG, it's ignoring the fact that there are bits to the left and bits to the right. Um, and clients might want to mix and match. I think when the labels come in, a lot of clients will end up putting a toe in the water and just saying, well, can I have half and half? Mm. Especially if it's an existing client. And we have half my money going forward invested in the way that you've always done it. And can we try half in sustainable improvers or something like that? Can you go and build a portfolio? And then we can monitor it and tweak it. Yeah. But all that comes back to having a conversation um, with every client, not waiting for the client to raise the issue. Because if you're waiting for the client to raise the issue, it's the same as waiting for a client. But imagine a new client, you're waiting for the client to raise an issue, and the issue is risk. And after an hour's meeting, you record on file, client never mentioned it, I never mentioned it, because the client never mentioned it. So attitude to risk assumed as stick it in the middle, we'll make it five out of ten. Hopefully, <laughs> that would never exist on a, <laughs> Not on, that I've on ever a client heard of, file. You never know. <laughs> you never know. But... For firms that would be outraged about that sort of process, they should be equally outraged about a process that said, I'm going to talk to you about ESG, but I'm not going to talk to you about all these other options, mm. which basically means it's a binary thing. Do you want it? Yes or no? Well, what is it? We haven't got time to talk about it. Do you want it? Yes or no? Uh, no, mm. maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll say no if you don't know, shall we? And human nature is you don't say yes to something you don't know. You say no. no. But no may not be the right answer. And you certainly couldn't prove it under consumer duty that you have delivered good outcomes because the first thing any any file review will do, whether that's S-based monitoring file review or file review from a compliance firm or even from a claims management company, will be show us your workings. How did you get to that outcome 
from that discussion. This isn't a big part of the consumer duty, make sure, making sure the client's understood both the advice they've been given, but also surely the questions that they're being asked. Yeah, I mean, it's critical, uh, summarised as advisors assisting clients to make an informed choice. If you look at consumer duty all over it, especially around investment, um, the, the references are to advisors assisting clients to make an informed choice, information available to help clients make an informed choice. Now, if you're, if the world of investment offers you ESG, three sustainable labels, ethical and responsible, um, and you're, you discuss that with a client, alongside what conventional investment is we call that whole thing the spectrum of capital so there's the conventional investment conventional with esg that's esg with risk three sustainable labels and let's put ethical and responsible at the far end on a on a not a hierarchical basis on a a level basis um you can have that conversation but if you just pluck one thing out and say we're only going to talk about one option that's the only one you've got um that's not an informed choice so again mm-hmm. coming back to consumer duty and meeting uh or producing suitable outcomes for clients the audit trail um will go backwards from Let's see what you've produced and what you've recommended and how you got there by going through your due diligence and before that through your fact finding, your attitude to risk and clients' preference, investment preferences and objectives. What, How did the client prefer um, their money to be invested? Well, in the same way they've always done it. No, that wasn't the question. How did they prefer? Well, I don't know. Ah, but you would know if you'd asked, wouldn't you? So there instantly there's a data gap, which is you can't demonstrate the client's preferences if you haven't asked them for their preferences. And to ask them for their preferences, you need to explain what their options are. So at a really, really high level, like, like I've just mentioned, using something like the spectrum of capital, clients get it. They say, you know, I, I can go down any number of routes. And that's not talking about asset allocation conversation. Should I have so much in UK or so much international. It's very high level. It's about uh, a pathway. What path would you like to take with your investment? It's conventional, conventional with ESG. The sustainable labels should be here by the end of 2024. Um, and, and advisors have to give out information about them, whether clients want it or not. They have to have sustainable information made available at the point of advice um, or ethical at the end. Um, so an informed choice is about, okay, now I can see the different ways that my money might be invested. I prefer, my preference is that we go down the way that we've always done it before. But that's an informed choice. I know what ESG is. I know what's sustainable. I know ethical. Not interested. Can we do things the way we've always done it? Now, the outcome that the advisor would have done anyway can now be proven to be definitely suitable. Because you can say, well, here's the due diligence, here's the conversation, here's the client's evidence that the client made the informed choice. I sent the client a document that explained the spectrum of capital. I mean, all of that's available free on our website anyway, but gave that client, it took the client 10 minutes to read it before the meeting, um, and they came in and were able to make an informed decision. That's that's absolutely perfect. But you take that aspect of talking about soft facts. Uh, uh, yeah, softer data, if you like, from the client. You take that out of the equation, and all you're left with is the old approach, which is fact find and then risk. 
mm-hmm. straight into due diligence, straight into um, the suitability letter. But that fails under consumer duty because when you unpick it and go backwards, you're left with a gap, which is we know the fact find works. We know the attitude to risk works. But how did the client make an informed choice about how their money was to be invested? Yeah. I mean, it seems really obvious. Don't just assume that the client's going to make a certain decision. But I suppose maybe it's not. Well, I think the big shift is in 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 the the, the prove it element. Mm. You know, you can have a really robust file. You can demonstrate robust due diligence. This is pre-consumer duty. You can have a well-worded um, uh, suitability letter that explains why the advisors recommended certain things and how that meets the client's needs. Um, but but when you take the fact that consumer duty requires the file to demonstrate that the client has made an informed choice you instantly then say okay informed choice on what and if you then feed into that oh i asked the client about esg so where that's good up to a point but where's how can the client make an informed choice about whether they want to go beyond esg into sustainability or into ethical or, or make a conscious decision to go down none of those routes if they don't know those other routes exist. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Um, well, I mean, we kind of just, we have, I, I had sort of two sections we were going to talk about, and we have kind of gone into the second one now, but I wondered if there's anything else, um, any other takeaways from the survey that you think are worth pointing out um, that advisors can benefit from? Um well, unless they're hungry for lots of statistics, and there are lots of statistics in the um, the the sub um, paper, the 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 main um, financial life surveys, three hundred odd pages, but there is a, a, a an additional section which is the one that take covers the responsible investment. So, if they're really into data, go and get a copy of that. Um, but but the the biggest takeaway is, um, like I said before, that when you look at the demand for responsible investment is increasing um, and the confusion around what it is and and what's available and what does good look like is very high, then any advisor who is is not having a conversation with clients around ESG sustainable responsible investment is, is missing a trick. Because mm-hmm. I found in 30 odd years as, as an advisor that my clients didn't rush away from a meeting thinking, well, I'm never going back in there. No, hopefully none of them did. <laughs> but, um, you know, they didn't rush away and saying, I have to tell everybody about pound cost averaging. I have to explain asset allocation. But what I we found over 30 odd years is that the clients wanted to share the fact that they had made a link between their finances and their values and that's personal to them and that's something that they wanted to share with other people who and and we we all tend to do this we 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 work in groups of peers it might be you know the my peers at the football club or the rugby club or the the gaelic dancing club or what you know whatever it is they're all they're all peers um and you t- tend to you know mix with like-minded people and so being able to to demonstrate amongst a group, if if you know that there are environmental or social interests amongst that group, similar to your own, um, it'll be, ah, my ISA or my SIP that my financial advisor set up for me 
is now completely linked to um, my values. He asked me some, she asked me some brilliant questions. Um, and I really now feel that that it's my money that's being invested in the way I want it, just because the advisor asked me some questions. I didn't even know before I had the meeting that these were even options. That's fantastic. You should get your advisor to do that. Oh, I've asked before, but they never mention it. Well, go to my advisor then. Fantastic source of referrals. Mm -hmm. People who are engaged with the advice process. Yeah, definitely. And, um, And this is speculation for the majority of firms, but we found the clients looked forward to annual review meetings, not because we talk about the economics, especially if the markets have been down over the previous 12 months, but they were interested to have a conversation about them, their values. Is there anything that is there anything that you've become animated by, interested in, engaged with over the last twelve months? Oh yeah, I've was, I was been I've been reading about this subject. Oh okay, well that okay, you know that whatever subject it might be, you can say, well, there's no way I can directly link that to investments, or you might say that's really interesting. You know, there's a, a type of fund that uh, let's say impact. Um, where you can actually direct some of your money to generate a financial return and measurable climate or social benefits. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. We didn't discuss that before. That's because last year when I asked you, you didn't, you weren't reading this mm-hmm. book or whatever. No, you have been reading it and you're interested. Um, that's a very, very engaged client. Like I said, more likely to to do um, to make referrals but also one who is much easier to deal with. Yeah. Definitely. Because you haven't got the, well, my advisor does this and it's a load of stuff I don't understand. And, you know, clients don't have to understand asset allocation, pound cost averaging and alpha and beta and all that. That's what they pay advisors to do. But but when they but they do feel that much closer mm-hmm. to the investment process and closer to the, the advisor, they're actually bothered to ask them about what they think. And that does work both ways, which means that if a client ultimately doesn't want ESG or sustainability, they can they'll understand that that the advisor is trying to do the best job possible for every client and not be selective and just think, you know, the advisor asks all their clients and it's not for me. Mm. Yeah. But did your advisor even ask you? Well, it wouldn't be for me either. I know. But that's the type of advisor mine is. They do take that time to ask those extra questions. And if yours isn't even asking you, even where the answer is no, what else is it that they're not asking you? What else is it that they're pre-selecting? They're going to arrange for you without asking because it was easier. My advisor took the time to talk about it and I didn't want what they want, what they talk to me about. But I know why I don't want it. Yeah. And. And so that, as I say, as I say, is is as much of a positive as finding out um, the or finding which ones of the clients might be interested. And going back to the financial life survey, you know, if the FCA is saying sixty two percent of people already with um, a pension or investment product want responsible investment, the the logical takeaway from that at the FCA is that 62% of IFA clients should be invested responsibly. Interesting. I suppose no matter how well an advisor might think they know their client, they can't just assume that they're going to make a certain choice. Absolutely not. No. I mean, if 
you know, a lot of the things are very personal. Mm. And some things may may come out. Um, you might go to a client and it might be obvious that they um particularly religious. But but making that connection between their religious values and their money, um, that's the bit that historically hasn't always happened. So you can go to the clients, they could be evangelical Christians, and absolutely fine. And you say, that that's that's sort of you know who you are, but I'm here to talk about your financial needs. So I've done a fact find. I haven't got a space on my fact find um, for Muslim or evangelical Christian or Baptist or Seventh Day Hoppists or um, whatever. Um, but ask, but asking the question. And then saying there are implications for the way that you live your life in the way that we can invest your money. Um, and that actually comes back to also one of the bits of consumer duty, which is foreseeable harm. Now, foreseeable harm has generally been accepted as you put money in, it loses money, you take money out, you realize a loss, there's a harm. But harm could be much broader than that. If you, if a client, let's say um, you're speaking to a Quaker client without knowing that they were a Quaker client, putting their money for 10 years into a product which had two arms companies in the top 10 holdings, the harm, mm. the personal harm to that client of knowing that because their advisor didn't ask about them, about what was important to them, that they have spent 10 years investing in the very thing that is completely against everything that they believe in and stand for. So they, they'd be able to demonstrate they have suffered foreseeable harm. Why was it foreseeable? Because ethical investment's been around since 1984 as a retail product. So it will be difficult to point out, oh, well, it's all fairly new. Well, how, how do you define new? Some of the clients' advisors may be advising may not have been born when the stewardship fund was launched by Friends Provident in '84. So it's pretty foreseeable that this fund's been a, been around longer than you have, and so therefore asking whether that sort of thing is suitable for you is not unreasonable. Mm. But not to ask the question um, could instigate um, or in, yeah leads to foreseeable harm. Or a client, for example, um, let's say you've got two clients both of whom are the same age and the same amount of money, and they both have the same objective. In 25 years' time, I want to buy a boat and go sailing. Mm -hmm. um, now, from an investment preference and objective perspective, you've sort of set the objective. I, I give you some money now um, as you're my IFA, and you give it back to me in 25 years, and hopefully it's a lot more that you give me back than I give you, and that will help me buy my boat. Um, but with a little more digging, you might find out one client that says, that's it. That's all you've got to do is take the money I'm giving you now and give me back more. That's it. Not interested in anything else. <laughs> the other client might say, well, now we've had a discussion about sustainability. I really can't perceive of a situation where me investing in things that are causing climate change, pollution, plastics going into the oceans could in any way make me better off in 25 years time no matter how much money you give me back i can't buy clean oceans i can't mm. buy clean air so it's completely destroyed the idea of me having a boat if you're going to allow me to spend 25 years investing my money destroying the very thing i want to go and enjoy there's foreseeable harm i see yeah there's a lot to it 
a lot more complex, but it's about having deeper conversations with clients. Yeah. And and though that will only ever lead to positive outcomes, not only mm-hmm. positive in terms of um, being able to demonstrate suitable outcomes in a suitability report, but clients are just going to feel much better about it. Yeah, definitely. So needless to say that informed choice is pretty integral part of the consumer duty. And we've kind of already touched on it a bit, but I wondered if you could just sort of explain, mainly for my benefit, um, how advisors can demonstrate compliance with consumer duty when building informed choice into their advice process. Um, it's it's all down to record keeping. So if mm-hmm. we come back to the um, example of um, those firms that say, oh, yes, we've already got the ESG question in our fact find. Well, that fails informed choice simply because, one, it only talks about ESG and not the broader spectrum of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, clients don't, with, with a simple question like that, there's no con- there's no context around it. So what does ESG mean in terms of how money is invested? Um, is it a is it an investment strategy or is it a risk management? None of this needs to be particularly complicated. It just you know needs to be a conversation. Um, but even that, uh, like I said before, you know you're not allowing the client to make an informed choice if you're restricting how much information you give them, and that doesn't mean hitting them with the whole of the CII syllabus um, at level six. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, read 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 this study it pass the exams then come back to me when you're ready to invest your five grand and then they would need to because they could be their own advisor (laughs) they'll they'll do it themselves yes um but um no so it's about client level conversation and client level detail the person on the clapham omnibus sort of level um and getting having a process in place that just makes that easier. So we we produce a document called the Preference Pathway document, and it just says to clients, um, multiple different ways. I'm your financial advisor. I'm I, I'm here to help you choose the right path for you. Um, and here are the options. And it just quotes the spectrum of capital, and it says conventional. What does that mean? Conventional investment. Um, conventional plus ESG. What is ESG? ESG is this. ESG is applied to conventional investment as a risk. Thing. So we look at environmental, social risks to your investments, not risk of you damaging the environment, but what but the investment managers are looking at how the environment or or social issues or governance issues could reduce the profit on the businesses you're invested in. Surely you would want to reduce any losses associated with poor poor processes. Yes, I would, right. But then you want conventional plus ESG. And then obviously you move then into the sustainable labels when when they come out and and ethical at the end. That, if you said to a client, that is the breadth at a very high level of the different pathways you could take with your investment. That's in a really simple, um, easy to read, client friendly document. Advisors send that, you know, the week before a meeting. We're meeting next week. Could you read this and we'll have a conversation about it? So all the explanations about what is ESG or that. That's been done in a document. That's already facilitating informed choice. The partner to that document is uh, what we call our preference pathway record, which simply sits in the advisor's hand or on their iPad or whatever, and it just goes through. Did you get the document? Yeah. Did you read the document? Yeah. Did you understand the document? Yeah. Are you able to make an informed choice? Yeah. I read all that. I've got a couple of questions, but let's work through those. But yeah, I know where I want to. 
I, I know the pathway I want my money in, um, how, how I want my money invested. So all of that can be demonstrated. How do you do a demo? The file will say, how, how can you demonstrate informed choice? Sent this document to a client, keep a copy of the document on a file. How did the client react to it? Here's a copy of the reference pathway record. It shows the client read it, understood it. We answered some questions. I made a note on that document about the client's questions and the answers. We've all agreed it. And then that records also which pathway the client wants. And they want to go 50% the way they've always done it. And 50% with these sustainable improvers trying to make companies better, but not taking high risks or committing to 100% sustainability or anything. Fine. That's done. That feeds into the due diligence advisor puts a portfolio together. That is how you demonstrate informed choice. And that probably adds 20 minutes to an advice process because the, the grunt work has been done by the client spending 10 minutes reading. Yeah, I see. Interesting. Cool. Um, that's We're probably running out of time now, but um, it's been really, really good to talk to you today, Lee. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been great. Thank you for having me, Lois. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.